Welcome to Pablo Torre Finds Out. I am Pablo Torre, and today we're going to find out what this sound is. Right after this ad. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are sleep training. So oh my God. You're, uh, you're going to get ASMR, Mina. The wiring that's inside of you that says you should attend to your child who yeah. is crying out for you, like literally their life depends on it. And just ignoring that is like a psychological experiment that we subject ourselves to as parents for, the, ever, for, the, for the benefits that are worth it. Did you ever put your headphones on? Because I've done that a couple of times. Just, just noise cancel? To stop myself from, yeah. Being like, yeah. you just got to ride this out for 10 minutes. But then I, it's a little bit mitigated. But I look at him on the monitor. So I have my headphones on, but I see him going. But, but what's playing in your head is Katrina and the waves walking on sunshine because Mina doesn't care about her son. <laughs> He's too busy and dancing to 80s hits. Uh, it's Zach Lowe, usually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Mina should start. I think the story she brought uh, is 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 germane to some larger topics we've been talking about on the show for a long time, as well as her last weekend, potentially. Yeah, it, well, it, it kind of pertains to what we're doing right now. We can argue about whether what we're doing right now in the process of doing this show satisfies um, the requirements, I guess, of a hang. Are we hanging out? Because that is the subject that I am bringing to you today. Uh, it is an article uh, by a friend of mine, Derek Thompson, in The Atlantic called Why Americans Suddenly Stopped. It's not like a famous An article person. by a friend, friend of mine. When you say an article by a friend of mine, well, it was unnecessary. Because this is literally un- about friendship. It was un- okay. Okay? All right. Oh my God. I just realized we're doing an art. This is about hanging out in friendship. The the name drops we are about to be subject to from one Pablo Torre. Yeah, get that, get that button lubed up, buddy. <laughs> oh. Um so uh, the article is is about uh the fact that Americans don't spend as much time as they used to in person hanging out. And just to give you a few of the numbers. From 2003 to 2022, American men reduced their average hours of face-to-face socializing by about 30%. For unmarried Americans, do, is it, do you count hanging out if it's your wife or your husband? I don't know. The decline was 35%. For teenagers, crucially, it is more than 45%. This blew my mind. Uh, teenagers, so 15 through 19, boys and girls, reduced their weekly social hangouts by more than three hours 
a week. That is a lot of time. Like that's not, you know, in like little percentages on the margins. That is massive. Um, He talks about how this connects to rising numbers of depression and loneliness amongst teenagers in particular. Uh, And and then the the story, which it's, it's really good, gets into some of the reasons for this. And there's a, there's a litany of reasons. The biggest, I think most obvious one is that more people, not just teenagers, but especially teenagers, are spending time on the internet, spending time on their phones instead of getting together. But it also has to do with kind of the dis- disintegration of community activities, church being a massive one. But there's other ones too. I think youth sports being on the decline, clubs, group hangs, etc. So basically, we are all online more. We are all seeing each other face-to-face less. And everybody is sadder because of it. Yeah. I, I want to just, Dan, I want to give some historical context because the article also quotes like Alexis de Tocqueville, right? As, as somebody who identified as one of the first, maybe the most famous first observer of American life. Um, someone who identified, and I'll quote this, um, that nothing in my view deserves more attention than the intellectual and moral associations in America, which is to say that the United States was kind of born with this premise of people gathering and forming associations, hanging out, making community from nothing. And this is a distinguishing aspect of what it meant to be American, actually. And Mina, I mean, the, the graph, right? So it's been declining. People have been chronicling this phenomenon like Fewer, fewer um, hangs, basically, from the 70s to the 90s. There's this book called Bowling Alone, which was in the 90s about this topic. But then the 2020s, like all of these studies are basically just saying this has gone haywire to the degree that the phone feels like this turning point. And there's just there's so many studies, Dan, in this, but I'll just quote another one. It's very suspicious that teen anxiety and depression really started to take off around 2012 because that's when 50% of Americans owned a smartphone and social media and all that happens. And so the great con of the internet, which is that it would connect everybody, right? That's what Mark Zuckerberg promised us. We're connecting each other. Like the literal exact opposite has happened. The internet exists. It's really a funny thing here, Mina, because it's like walking into a comedy club and then getting poisoned. Because we're all here for the same reason, to laugh at the same things, but then we come out of laughing at the same things. Oh my God, I've got this film on me and I'm more disconnected from people and I've spent, oh, my screen time is up four hours this week because it's just easier to sit around fiddling with the iPad in my case because I'm still using the iPad for this we know. stuff. Uh, but we it, all it's, know. It's just, but it does disconnect you. I hadn't even noticed how much less I'm ha- hanging out with people, and I assumed it was both life circumstance and the pandemic. I thought the pandemic changed something in terms of hanging out with people. I okay. I want to I want to draw a distinction here because I think we all agree social media isolating people people are lonely everyone's spending more time on their phones this is a clearly a big problem but I want to ask you Dan a specific question about this are you active in any group chats Mike Ryan has like 1,000 group chats about uh, mozzarella oh, so sticks okay, okay. I believe so, that so, Mina Kimes yeah. has more group chats than anybody else on the planet incidentally <laughs> we Pablo and I are in a group chat that's been going for four or five years at least pre-pandemic I believe so there's that group chat I I have three Asian people and Mike Schur by the way play the sound yeah Alan Yang's the uh, other Asian guy so Um, oh god 
And I don't want to hear about all his star bleeping adjacent okay. stuff. I really don't. I, I brought up group chats not to name drop like Popo just did, but to draw what I think is actually a pretty key distinction um, when it comes to connectivity. Because it, 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 I, I am, look, the depression, clearly it's the internet. Clearly it's the phones. Like that, it just, it's just stupid that people are trying to find other, I mean, there, I'm sure there's other, some explanations, but like, it's very, like we all have a device in our hands. If I was a teenage girl and I had had this, I don't know how I would have made it through. It's something I'm terrified for when it pertains, as it pertains to my own kid. Yes. You have a device in your hands that is like, a, not only reminding you of all the bad news in the world, but also is a constant source of comparison and it's it's bad. However, I, I do I have found that while I do hang out less, I actually get a lot of satisfaction and social fulfillment from the fact that I'm in these very active group chats. I'm in a few of them that have been going on for years. We check in on each other all day. We share funny stuff we've seen. We like I have been reduced to tears laughing at times because of things. It really reminds me of the high school cafeteria. And I just I, I want to know if people think that counts as hanging out. It's evolution. For me, it's it, evolution. It, it, it's but the it's same a, part but of my brain. It replaces it, right? You grow up, you become an adult, you get consumed by parenthood, and it'll do. It, it, it's a reasonable facsimile in the modern age. I have several group chats. Pablo's right. I have one with, I'll just kind of, with uh, Nate Tice, who you guys, I, I know Pablo Nate. knows, and Danny Kelly, who's another um, football yep. writer that's been going on for several years. And it, we share everything, like opinions about football. It's a lot of football talk, obviously, but like we're all uh, parents of young boys and we talk about that constantly. We talk, like when yesterday, when the shooting happened, uh, I don't feel like this is, I'm not, this is something I said. I immediately hit them because both of them, Danny's kid is about, five, I think. And then Nate's kid is, is about, uh, is, a, is a one or two or something, one and a half. And I asked them something that actually, Dan, that you asked me this morning, which is, I was, I asked them, I was like, hey, do, do these stories hit you guys differently now that you have sons? Because I'm feeling these things. And we talked about it for a bit in this chat. And it's not only no different from when I had people in real life that I would see, but I actually think we can kind of get to the meat of things a lot quicker and, and talk about things without any of the awkwardness uh, because of the like sort of, I guess, the fact that it's mediated or that we're, it's all text-based communication. And then when I see that, I, I had dinner at the Super Bowl with Nate and uh, my friends, uh, Bill Barnwell and Robert Mays. It's almost like, this is like, I've probably hung out with Nate seven times in person, but I consider him to be one of my closest friends now because we have this ongoing dialogue for years. So I guess I bring this up because I do I do worry about all these things and I do feel like the lack of hanging out is real, but I do think that there are ways that maybe aren't captured by the same metrics of hanging out where you can still have these like meaningful, deep friendships. What I, though, am nostalgic for, and I think what this article is positing, is that there is something about face-to-face -face socialization that only happens when you're not optimizing for interaction, um, which yeah. is the best version of the internet. 
And it is like, what's it like to meet a bunch of people, some of whom you know, some of whom you don't, and just literally hang, right? What does a hang mean? I mean, this as a hang, does it qualify? Like, on one level, yes, deeply. This is my way of actually spending time with you guys, and we are face-to-face through a screen. But it also fails the definition because this is structured in a way um, that is literally topic by topic. There's an artificial and layer to all of this that makes it less intimate than being in person. Mino, how was your Las Vegas experience? Like, because me, Pablo asked you, and I, I it was delightful. It felt and like yours too, Dan. No, but it by felt like way. nutrients I hadn't had in a while. It felt like that's so, what I mean. It felt like something I hadn't even noticed was gone because from you my had life. To see people. I just not just people, but interact with them in a social setting that was aggressive for you know four or five days and really see them, yeah. like see you and hug you, see you and 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 talk to you about uh, yeah, just talk to you more more intimately than you might in these settings. I think different people flourish in different environments. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about the scripture. Like I. I what I meant was like with these two guys, for example, in my chat, I can talk to them every day on the, on chats over the course of several years. And even though I'm only seeing him them in person here and there, I feel as close to them as I felt with other friends in my early 20s who I saw in person. However, uh, with someone like Dan, um, I don't feel like we have a good text relationship. Her and Mike have tried to lure me but, into one of these. I am I, I am a little bit averse to this just because of how many of these show up on my a, phone that is a bunch of dudes okay. watching a game and I'm getting 40 wows to some play that happened six <laughs> hours ago. Like I, I, It's okay though. <laughs> when, you, when we saw each other in Los Angeles, we got uh, lunch. I was in it in a hurry. That was lovely. And I, and it, I felt like those bonds... Like strengthening again, it's like, oh, okay, this is the we're in person, we're talking about life, we're connecting, and and I guess I just bring that up to be like different. I I find that there are people in my life where those connections do need to be strengthened in person, and there are people where I don't I don't think they do. I, I think it's a parallel to something that I I've been thinking about lately. Um, you know, uh, it's a parallel to love languages. Maybe it's a version of it. It's friendship languages. Yeah. Right. Like Mina, I, 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 I know about Mina that she respects and appreciates few things more than responsiveness <laughs> in a conversation, a group chat or an individual text exchange. And I am more like Dan. I'm <laughs> with it. Like oh. I am, a while. It's actually very a, odd for I know, someone your age. I know. I'm self-conscious about it because you are like the fastest texter on the planet. And I'm somebody who uh, in person is ostensibly like, quick and very verbal and I'm here to like spend way too much time hanging out but on a text it just doesn't do it for me I feel lonely when I don't have my phone <laughs> not because of social media you could take social media off my phone but because of these that text make, that threads makes sense. that I have going and I think that's so, like I'm not I, I I guess I just want to say like I think those friendships are as real and as deserving of protection and defense yes just yes. because we're not, you know, going to a restaurant 
I, I get a lot out of them. Mina, but you're saying you're getting, in the evolved new modern age, you're getting the nutrients you need from friendship the modernized way. That you're, and it doesn't make you feel lonely. In fact, it makes you feel closer to them than you might have been 20 years ago because none of this could have happened. You wouldn't have made the phone calls to make this happen. This yeah. is more efficient. You can just reach out with your funny and have an interaction that you wouldn't otherwise. In fact, I'm guessing that the two of you don't even use this as a phone anymore, correct? Like that you don't, you rarely, answer a telephone call, correct? Oh my God. <laughs> my voicemail, my voicemail box is entirely Dan Lebetard and Tony Kornheiser. Yeah. Which is to say when, people who are old enough to yeah. still use it like a phone. Yeah. When I see a incoming voice call, it literally feels like someone trying to punch me in the face. <laughs> like, what are you, like, get away from me. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I did not expect to be the guy bringing the football topic today, but uh, but I have been really interested in what we're supposed to do with Tom Brady as he is, yeah, replacing Greg Olson in the booth next year for Fox. And we all know that story by now. Greg Olson has, it's just impossible to be better at this than he has while also losing your job. And so there is this clip of, uh, of Tom Brady that went viral recently that I want to play for you guys because it was this glimmer it was framed and hailed as a glimmer of what he could be, which is to say, like, actually interesting, question mark, if you can play that. They're just calling probabilities. Okay, there's a probability on third down. In short, they're going to play man-to-man coverage. So therefore, on my call sheet, I'm going to call my man-to-man beaters. Oh, they didn't call man-to-man. Looks like, you know, a simple cover two zone. This play isn't really working for that. Okay, in my mind, it'd be like, okay, let me get to my best cover two play against this look as opposed to now we get the ball okay it's it's we've got a bunch of crossing routes in the cover two that's not good let me hold the ball and go run it and then people on tv go oh you know great play way to run and in my mind i'm going why did you snap the ball i mean you clearly knew no one's going to be open and so that that's just brady talking to steve young on his podcast um and having an edge to him and also just this conviction which made him um automatically interesting to me. And Mina, I just want to know for you, right? Like, there's this conversation, and you've been in a booth calling NFL games for the Rams. Uh, he's going to have to tighten it up. Those windows are small. Like, if he thinks he's going to have the ability to explain all of that, he better speed that shit up. Right. So how do you foresee the Tom Brady experiment going as he is basically handed a job that everyone else has to climb a ladder through mud and, 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 and uh, many sharp elbows to get to? What I found interesting about that clip is not so much the substance of what he's saying, right? Which is he's, he's criticizing a quarterback using his legs for basically not um, engaging in the sort of pre-snap mastery that Tom Brady engaged in, which I have to think like the Brady uh, has probably watched a lot of quarterback mobility over the last few years and been like silently seething. <laughs> well, he only ran because he needed to run. You know, you know. 
Um, but <laughs> and I have, Mina, not to interrupt you too much here, but I do think that he will be paid $375 million to bitterly excoriate that Mahomes is not as good as him in every game that he calls of Mahomes. Oh, that'd be I can't uh, wait I for that. that. Uh, as he calls all of football mediocre and and just drains oh, yeah. down, right. uh, just just rains down upon Mahomes, he's not as good as I but was. Sorry to interrupt that's, you. That's what's interesting about the clip. So I do think something that um, either bothers you or uh, you love is when announcers are critical of quarterbacks. Like whenever you see Chris Collinsworth trending on Twitter, it's usually NFL fans complaining about him being too positive about a quarterback. I would say the reverse has been true of Aikman in the past. Troy Aikman tends to be more critical of quarterbacks. I love it personally. <laughs> I think it's really funny. Um, and I think he's he had a fantastic year too. So I think what we saw there was a glimpse of the possibility that Dan alluded to, which is Tom Brady might actually be critical. I have never heard, like the clip of him complaining about the NFL, that was very general, right? But if he actually does what he did there, let's say we turn on a game and it's Jalen Hurts and he's he's just struggling against the blitz again. Tom Brady going in on him would be the most controversial and interesting thing Tom Brady has ever said. So if he yes. actually were to do that and then given his... Um, the fact that he has the authority to do so, I would find that fascinating. I hope that that's the case. I am most interested in this part of it. And he's an old man by athletic standards. So he is <laughs> approaching 50. And the way that he's approaching this, when athletes struggle a great deal with what do I do after I have buried who I used to be, after I have grieved mm. that my identity is I was Tom Brady who played, and now I'm Tom Brady who talks about this and wants to be successful and I'm treating it competitively, I'm going to sit out a year until I get good at this. And I ask you, Mina, because I do believe this part is funny and interesting. I believe Tony Romo's enthusiasm, just like John Gruden's. You like football. I like football. That works. Hey, Tony Romo, there has to be an intervention with you and CBS executives because you're not taking this job seriously enough. I really don't know what the balance is on this. I think Tom can take it so seriously that he strangles it or he could get good at it, but I do wonder if he thinks he's going to get his smart off in 15 seconds at a time, enthusiasm and likability counts for something. He's starting from a likable place, but the fact that he cares so much about this, I think can be as a preparation, it can give him comfort, but it also can be over-prepared and you can think you've got this handled and not have it handled because you're not treating it as relaxed as Romo did from the beginning. I also think that we're talking a lot about the craft of announcing, and we should because it's a really interesting job. It is uh, a very, uh, you know, high-paying job. It's a very high-profile job. There's a reason, by the way, that, like, the greatest of athletes, I mean, truly, like, Wayne Gretzky is calling, or he's, like, in, a, in the studio doing, like, hockey commentary now. Tom Brady wants to be in the booth, the greatest of all time. Would LeBron want to do this? He seemed to enjoy being uh, at the desk after winning a championship, being very open and interesting, right? So... There's a, I get why people want to do this. I just think it's very funny that inside of any sort of like broadcast network, the conversation is very simple. It's like, oh, get, get Tom Brady. Yeah, him. We want Tom Brady, period. Because on some level, you just want to know what he thinks. Like yeah. everything he says would make news in a way that must be infuriating to like other 
competitors for that job. Like Greg Olson went from a tight end who was like mildly well-known, um, you know, to most normal people, if at all, to Tom Brady, where it's just like, whatever his take is, is inherently interesting because that's how good he used to be. Now, there's going to be a diminishing returns on that, where if he's like super boring all of the time, people will stop being interested. But the the bar, the, the floor because on him, is. Yeah. because you just want to know what Tom f Brady thinks. But what if what and he that's thinks— that's going to carry him what, through a lot of the first year. But what if what he thinks is that football today is more mediocre than when he played it? That's his starting point. His starting point is not the affection for football. Now, we know he loves football, uh, but Olsen and Romo make you feel like they're enjoying their Sunday as much as you are. Brady's starting point is, I think the product's mediocre the moment I leave the field. I don't think he's going to be a crank. That dude loves the game. I mean, I, the brief glimpses you get of him on the field where he does show personality, um, you know, I'd like, so what we're talking about is that clip is him criticizing quarterback play, but quarterback play isn't the entire broadcast, you know, just that. Like, I, I, I think Tom Brady, I just picture Tom Brady calling a Niners game and watching the way Christian McCaffrey is used. He'll go crazy about it, for example, just drawing that out. I, I'm actually pretty optimistic about um, the depth of both the, the 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 tone, which is what we're talking about, and the depth of knowledge he's going to bring. And I think because of who he is, as Pablo said, it adds an additional layer of interest. To me, it just sucks that like he's replacing Greg Olson, who was you know doing such a fantastic those, those job. Big, those are big shoes to fill. I thought that he was pretty. Critically celebrated almost by consensus. I know it's a ridiculous thing to say. How will Tom Brady ever replace Greg Olson? But Greg Olson, I felt like, was a huge media darling. Not since Romo had I seen a broadcasting. Not since Romo yeah. was correctly predicting plays on television had I seen a broadcaster of any kind, any sport, celebrated the way that Greg Olson was for, for, for starting as a rookie and being great at it immediately. But that's also why I imagine Tom Brady is uh, putting out clips like this. Like, he's hearing this. That must yeah. be so frustrating for Tom Brady to be like, wait a minute, you guys do know who I am, right? So if we as, if we as a media organism can basically dare Tom Brady enough to be interesting, it's kind of like that guy, that guy cannot possibly pull off this comeback with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I yes. feel like we can actually shame him into being yes. interesting. His one personality trait that we know of is competitive freak. Yes. That dude is hearing all of this. And by the way, like, I, you know, when he took, took a second, right? He didn't jump right into the booth. Again, knowing what we know about him, he's probably been doing an insane amount of preparation. Like he's not, like the criticism of Romo now is that he's maybe not as prepared as he was initially. This is These are all the, you know, uh, leaked stories we're seeing. That's not going to be the case with Tom Brady based on everything we know about him. But Mina, I would say to you as someone who has done that, I would say to you as someone who has a lot of information at her disposal, you know how fast all that moves. You can prepare for that. Tom Brady, I'm sure, will have a lot of things to say and not enough time to say them because you are not prepared for how quickly all of that moves when you've got 700 sheets of paper in front of you and you need to know who uh, who the backup nickel package is on the left side, uh, uh, you know, who's who's in too deep coverage this time. You need to know every... The, I don't think people yeah. understand that Al Michaels every week for, for 17 times a year or however long it is that the burden that is Al Michaels at his age just learning every player on the roster because you need to know who recovered that fumble.
as opposed to the NFL when he had three seconds to identify yeah, wait, every wait, player Mina, on the field Mina, and get off Mina, like a perfect pass. I, what are we talking about here? I just want to send Tom Brady specifically that clip of Dan. <laughs> just watch I, this and make my Sundays better as my, a result. My concern about Tom Brady, the broadcaster, is not anything Dan said, which is, come on. It's that he was going to be bland. And that's what why this clip has got me intrigued. Because if he's willing to criticize quarterback play, he will not be bland. That was my, you know, I was just like, oh, is he going to be afraid? Because this dude is studiously non-controversial. Right. right? Well, he's he political is, that is his, with his like, takes. Yes. yes. But you guys, you guys yes. laugh at me as if the difference between sculpting 25 years of I need the ball out in two seconds Sorry. and, hey, Tom, be smart, funny, and interesting in four seconds. Go. As if that's not an entirely different skill set. to be funny. He can be, okay, not, be smart. You hear that, Brady? Be, Brady, you hear that? Be smart, interesting, and likable, and do it in seven seconds here, and don't step on your on your lead guy because he's got to get to the next play because it's hurry-up offense now. I don't know. I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not, I, I, I'm, look, I'm the guy who said seven years before his career was done that he was declining, <laughs> and he had another Hall of Fame career after that. I'm certainly used to uh, questioning Tom Brady. I'm just saying that the degree of difficulty on this, uh, no amount of preparation actually prepares you for it. The first time he does it, he will feel like he was less good than he wanted to be because no amount of preparation will prepare you for it. I just can't wait to psychoanalyze every little thing he says about Patrick Mahomes. I just can't. It's going to be so good. It's son of. It's going to be so good. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over a hundred thousand unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at getyourguide.com. I was trying to quietly open that thing at Trail Mix, and it's just not happening. You're gonna have trail mix while we start this. You're gonna eat the trail mix. You're gonna chew. You're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna chew while we start this. Okay. I am. The level you know of comfort yeah. that Tom Brady should aspire to. All right. Eating trail mix. All right. While you know what? I will start with Pablo. I'll direct this to Pablo, and you can munch like a rabbit in the background while you crunch. Uh, Pablo, the sorry. Co- um, ASMR. I'm just ASMR over here Mina. sustaining human life with my own body once every four hours. <laughs> sorry that I have to sustain myself in the very few. Times the day I was yeah. just neglecting a child while you do it because you're too busy listening to Zach Lowe on a podcast to take care of He's asleep. <laughs> Pablo, the thing I wanted to talk to you and Mina about was John Stewart returned like a welcome salve to comedy, to political commentary this week. And I want to know, while Mina chews and covers her mouth while chewing, if you think his style is going to hold up. Comedy uh, notoriously doesn't age well, and uh, he's the best I've seen do it, and he's coming into a field. Colbert is doing it daily. John Oliver, with the help of a lot of writers, is doing it every week better than just about anybody. These are the people he taught. And now in a very important election year, he returns to The Daily Show and reminded me in week one, oh, hadn't noticed that Trevor Noah had diluted it some. And don't mean that as a knock on Trevor Noah at all. But John Stewart limped in 
first week of many months during an important election year with the president is old and both candidates are old and kind of both sides old. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp, he's focused, he's bright. He is sharp intensely probing and detail-oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart, he's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president, and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? <laughs> because if you're... If you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. Uh, what did you think of his debut and do you think he's going to have an impact? I wanted to establish how much Dan loves Jon Stewart, right? Like, that's the Tom Brady comparison, is that... Uh, and, I, and I respect it, I get it. I also um, regard him as, like, one of the most wildly talented people, comedians, to ever do a job that involves political analysis, and it's not particularly close, right? He's obviously on the Mount Rushmore, whatever metal stand metaphor you want to use. The thing about this election, though, and the reason why people aren't responding the way that Dan has, which is to say, thank God the goat is back is because the way this has been framed has been in the context of the election, which is not just very difficult, but unique. Like, we have never had an election involving one guy in Trump who is, I don't even need to say what he is, hopefully, but he's that, right? <laughs> and the other guy is Biden, which is to say 81. And the entire problem right now for the left, I'm putting big scare quotes around this, is that Stewart was framed maybe unfairly by everyone or lots of people around, you know, uh, Daily Show fandom as the guy who would come in and save democracy. And this has been a thing he's bristled against ever since he was doing the job. He's always said, I'm a comedian. I'm not a politician or a freedom fighter. He's a guy making fun of people. And this election feels like one that is particularly ill-equipped for that degree of needle threading. Because the whole point is, are we actually acknowledging, in a way that I just didn't, that Trump actually has this rap sheet that demands us to remind ourselves over and over again how singular he is as a problem, and therefore to criticize his opponent feels like you're actually abetting and underweighting how much of a problem Trump is. Yeah, I think you're getting at the core question here, which is what do we actually want out of political right. comedy right now in a moment where everything feels so precarious? Um, are there people who just want to laugh regardless of what that laughter means, the weight given to the parties involved, um, the things that are being overlooked and ignored or, you know, disregarded? And I think that's that's a it's a it's it's a reasonable question because I am not so sure how big the audience there is for 
that down the middle political laughter right now. Um, and, you know, uh, which is old, like kind of what he was betting on there. And, and if you watch the clip, like, you know, I don't think it's exactly both sides-ish. He makes it pretty clear where he stands on things and then the actual, the Stewart clip, um, the actual stakes of it all. But if you are coming to political comedy wanting someone who is acknowledging the seriousness of the moment, who is forming, form, forming a political argument, he's not going to do it. Um, and I think like, you know, I just don't know how big the audience is for the uh, just pure comedy. Well, let's uh, examine that for a second, because what he did his first night was a million, uh, a million viewers, which is hard to do just to get anybody at an appointed time to do it. And then over the course of the week, the word has spread. I thought that what he was doing first time in and maybe I've got this wrong, maybe I've got the expectations too high, is he's just sort of coming in with like, look, I'm going to try and be fair here at the start. I'm going, I'm not going to come in with a screed. I'm not going to come at you sanctimoniously. I'm going to show you that I will make fun of Biden too in the event that there are any fence sitters out there that are assuming I'm just going to go hard left in my return to this because you have no experience with what my past is here. So I ask you guys, because it sounds like you're not expecting him to be able to to meet what is the current moment of you have to take a side. You cannot be someone who just goes comedy and goes for laughs now, but I don't think he would come back to work and leave Apple the way that he did unless he intended to be impactful with his voice over these next few months. I, th I don't think he's coming in just for laughs. Dan, I want to frame it even in a more blunt way, I think, because I'm thinking about this out loud, is there is the job that you have as a commentator, and all of us can relate to that part of it, and there is the job you have ostensibly, if you believe democracy is actually at risk, the republic is actually at risk, of helping Joe Biden win, right? Okay. And there are sub-arguments under that, right? Like, should he be the candidate? Are there better ones out there? As far as I can tell, there's no one out there with a better chance at winning this election than Joe Biden. And I, that is uh, on some level saddening to me. I think there could be better candidates, but the political organism has not surfaced them and they don't believe themselves clearly to be a better candidate. Otherwise, they would be out there doing it, trying to do it. And so for me, it's about it's about the age thing, right? Like how much, like th that's the issue underneath this. There's the big picture, which I just described, and then the specific, which is a supermajority of Americans believe that Joe Biden is way too old. And it's like, how much do you feed into that and how much do you try and help that guy <laughs> overcome that, knowing that the stakes are existential um, in, in the minds of at least uh, a couple of us? I want to ask you guys this question when you talk about grave danger to the republic. One of the great frustrations I've had over the last many years caring about newspapers is it doesn't seem voters or the public at all care at all about the checks and balances that journalism is supposed to represent as the fourth estate to protect democracy because you need an independent arm that you trust. As all of us can't tell with AI and other things what's real and what isn't. I will remind you guys as I've remind our audience audience ad nauseum that at the height of his powers, John Stewart in polling by Time Magazine was shown to be the most trusted newsman in America. More than all the television anchors that we grew up with that taught us how to 
listen and watch the news, what's objective and what's fair, Jon Stewart in this media climate was viewed as more trusted as a news source than any other. It's a formidable power. As I've seen Donald Trump run on a platform of the media is fake, you don't trust the media, you trust me. You'd, I could shoot somebody in Times Square and you'd still vote for me. I ask the both of you, what's it worth that people seem to trust Jon Stewart when they uh -huh. don't trust the media? They did. You said this media climate, and I would argue that the media climate in which he thrived is very different from the current one. And I think that the question that's at the heart of this is, is there any capability for crossover from a commentator, a comedian, a writer? This kind of gets to what I was saying. Like, there is this, you know, belief that someone like him can cut through and cross over. But now all of us get our news consumption, not only in like polarized platforms, but also we're on social media that further polarize those platforms. Can anything cut across that? Let's say, you know, the clip that we're talking about, he, you know, it, it, I don't think, I wouldn't call it both sidesism, but like it, it doesn't come across. I wouldn't across. either. Yeah. But oh, it does, oh, it, I, all I, the only reason I made it both sidesism is because in his debut, oh, he didn't just, are, say, yeah, but he didn't just attack that, yeah. Trump. He also yeah. made jokes at Biden's expense, which I thought was strategic. Well, but so like your belief is that he he is to Pablo's point, like he, he wants one side to win, but he's trying to like Trojan horse that winning argument in both sides, you know, colors or whatever. That was a mismatch. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know if that's true, honestly. Um, I, I believe he has like strong beliefs and he is catering to one audience, but I, I think generally um, he is trying to cut through to what I'm saying. He, I think he views himself as someone who can cut through. I'm not so sure that's possible anymore is what I'm saying. Do you think his early returns are successful, Dan? You're, like, you're willing to give Tom Brady the benefit of the doubt, and he isn't even giving you an early return on announcing. <laughs> I've seen this guy do it. I've, I mean, like, so if the, if the goal here is to, like, cut through... Because we're, we're, this is what we're talking about. Like, no, you, can anything you depressed cut me, Mina, when you say nobody can. Like, I, what I'd argue if, if anyone can, it's him, and you're saying no one can. And I can't argue with that. Maybe no one can. The one wrinkle I would add, though, is that the campaign that we are looking to beat Donald Trump clearly could use some help when it comes to strategy and messaging and how to own the fact that Biden's very old and all of that stuff. And if Stewart is not going to help them make that argument, and it's his well, right to not, it just becomes, oh, that's not, that's not what a lot of people wanted from him when it was announced that he's coming back. Okay, allow me to, like, say what I really think rather than just talking about the mechanisms here. Um, if your strategy as a campaign to get people to not focus on your age is just to never acknowledge it and hope that no one ever talks about it and just hide, that seems like a bad strategy. Yes. Me. So um, I don't have a problem with Jon Stewart talking about it. Now I'm just saying what I think. I like I don't. I wasn't like, wow, this is a great piece of political commentary. It's so funny. Like, no, I did. I, did, I wasn't that entertained by it. But I don't have a problem with it. And I think it's a problem to think that it can just go away, and that no one's going to talk about it. I agree completely. And so the question is just, okay, here's a guy who's super old, 
and no one can be fooled into thinking otherwise. What do you do with that? You don't run, you don't hide, but it requires a candidate and a campaign to message around this, right? And look, this is my take. This is the take I've been trying to like, I don't know, incept the campaign with. Like America does like old people. They do, right? They, I mean, look, as I say, right? Be Sully Sullenberger landing the plane on the Hudson and tell everybody else that Donald Trump is the guy in Con Air, right? Who are the old people that you can be like that, yes, get some stuff wrong, right? But Dan, I don't know, Dan, you worked with an old guy, your literal father next to you. Yeah, he couldn't be saw. president. He couldn't be president of the United States. Okay, that's I would not, not helping. He'd be campaign. snacking the entire time in the way. <laughs> I, he can't be. My father is younger than Joe Biden. <laughs> 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 Do you think he would uh, fake handshake Kim Jong Un or Kim Jong? Yes. That would be his diplomatic strategy everywhere. Get everyone to laugh by with the fake handshake. Uh, I am I am depressed by what Mina is saying because it seems like neither one of you think that political commentary and comedy for the time can uh, have any impact whatsoever over that things have changed too much. It's too volatile. It's too decisive, uh, too divisive. And what the hell are you going to do when we're starting at insurrection and then escalating everything from there? I'm not saying it can't have any impact. I just think that the circumstance, it's, it's a lot harder than 10 years ago, 15 years ago during, you know, when most of America watched the same, like a lot of the same cable programming, um, things can still cut through, uh, and uh, it's it's it's. I don't believe that someone like Stewart should just give up and only cater to, you know, the resistance or whatever. Because what's the point of trying to talk to everyone? I just th my point was rather just that it's a lot harder these days. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think that his demographic. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Is Biden's age? <laughs> his demo is biden's age that's what you're saying uh, there's I, I am caught desperately wanting to like help a candidate that is deeply flawed as somebody who thinks that lots of things that are vitally important are at stake and i also don't expect john stewart to help me you know, I just don't think that's, that's his where job. We agree. Like, like, I don't. Th as I a think, private citizen, yes. yes, I would love to give Save takes. Us. Yeah, no. I'd love to give takes. Like, hey, like can you guys is. consider consider like I don't know, like leaning in. Like, can you have Joe Biden yeah. make fun of how Donald Trump needs to like dye his hair, wear makeup to seem younger? Like, can you do yes. that? And like, be like, be authentic, be authentically old is what I'm really asking for from Joe Biden. John Stewart's job professionally is not to help the DNC be better at messaging. And unfortunately, right. that's the number one thing that the Republic needs right now. And that is the conflict when it comes to a bunch of people watching him who are hoping for optimism because it's a very specific kind. He's just refusing to give you. Pablo, did you hear the Vegas in, uh, creep into her voice at the end? That's that's she's been working for a couple of weeks. You heard Vegas make an appearance there, huh? <laughs> I am trying not to yell. <laughs> we are going on two hours with the nap over here. This has been a successful morning. Mina's ASMR uh, combined with trail mix, yeah, means we probably end the show at this point. <laughs>
I can't, I, we have a whole Photoshop of Dan worked up as an emotional truffle pig and I oh. didn't give him anything. It's ironic that we spent a lot of time talking as Mina is still snacking on trail mix about how her child, her baby is crying wildly in the other room. And yet all we've done is mostly just laugh. Um, the, 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 the truffle pig has not yet emerged, despite the fact that there's a baby literally crying in the other How room. often, how often does he make you cry with tears of gratitude? Not, uh, not painful tears, but you're just amazed at how much bigger life is than you ever thought it could be. Is that the best you can do, Dan? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, come on, get the graphic out there. I'm trying to help you with the emotional truffle pig. <laughs> there, he's, he's, he's coming around and he wants to know, it's when's the last time graphic. you were moved, you to, moved to tears by your baby in a positive way? Just simply love and gratitude. Yeah. Um, I was really frustrated about some work stuff the other day. Not, not just whatever, usual stuff. And I was so, um, I was mad at myself, which I, that tends to be how that manifests itself with decisions I made. And then uh, every day at 5 p.m. is when uh, I pick him up for the first time in a few hours. And my baby now does a thing where when I smile, he immediately smiles back. And oh, it has the good stuff. truly... That's uh, the good stuff. Give it to me. <laughs> it really has... <laughs> Rudy it around. really has a, a magic eraser effect yes. on every other emotion yes. that you feel because yes. it really is the only thing that matters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that wasn't that. That wasn't that. Uh, I'll do better next week. The truffle pig will truffle better next week. <laughs> uh, what I found out today is that our graphics department um, is the best part of this show at this point. The emotional truffle pig needs to make an appearance more often. <laughs> what I found out is uh, that Dan has never been invited to a group chat. <laughs> I hate. I just. I hate. I, I hate. I hate how connected you f are to your try? phones. Your Can we try your one. Fuckers in your phones. Pick up a phone call. Answer an answering machine message. An old-fashioned answering machine message. Every time I leave an answering machine message, it's always the same. Does anyone do this anymore? Does anyone check their <laughs> voicemail anymore? You used to FaceTime me from your car. Oh my God! I've got right? in the yeah. eight, the oh. eight a.m. pre-show convertible yes. ride with like the oh, yeah, wind the whipping yeah. into the speaker phone. You know how like many people would love to have the, that in their lives. Oh. Look at this. You, you, everybody would love to. Just like. Just like the snout, looking up at the. Do you snout know? Do you know what driving. I can make on Cameo by just calling people on Facetime on my way to work? <laughs> this thing, this valuable thing, this treasure I give you guys, the truffle pig gives you guys that you just decline. Yes. You just send right to voicemail. Yeah, she's just Disgusting. snacking on four on four kibble and bits. No, no, they're on the ground. <laughs> Something no one tells you about being a parent. You're just disgusting. That's right. I have a truffle pig on my right and uh, a sty on my left. <laughs> but as for the mess that gets cleaned up by a whole staff of people on this show... I should point out that Pablo Torre Finds Out is produced by Michael Antonucci, Brian Cortez, Sam Daywig, Juan Galindo, Patrick Kim, Neely Lohman, Rachel Miller-Howard, Ethan Schreier, Carl Scott, Matt Sullivan, Chris Tuminello, and Julia Warren. Our studio engineering 
is by RG Systems. Our post-production by NGW Post. Our theme song is by John Bravo. I should probably go check on my kid. I'll talk to you next week.